0: Okay, um, we begin now the third sefer of the Nevi'im, and that is the sefer of Shmuel. Shmuel actually has two parts, Shmuel Aleph and Shmuel Beis, um, and Shmuel is fascinating, some of the most uh, interesting and significant parts of our history, and the uh, the kings of Klal Yisrael and the Beis Hamikdash, uh, all of that is part of Shmuel, and just uh, a very, very beautiful sefer of Navi. And um, also, uh, very welcome after a lot of the very difficult things that we learned about in the last couple of of classes, especially at the end of of, uh, Shreiftim. Um, Shmuel introduces us to a a number of tremendous tzaddikim, tremendous tzaddikim, and leaders of Klal Yisrael that carry the story, um, at least at the beginning of Shmuel, as we're going to see. Um, So, before we begin, let me just introduce you to a few of the great tzaddikim who we're going to meet right in the beginning of the book of Shmuel. Um, The first one is Elkanah. Elkanah is perhaps not so famous in the bigger picture of history, but Elkanah is the father of Shmuel Hanavi. Um, The story starts with Elkanah. And Elkanah was a tremendous tzaddik. It says he was tzaddik hadur, the greatest tzaddik, one of the greatest tzaddikim of that generation. He was from the tribe of Levi, from Shevet Levi, And he was actually a great-grandson of someone of uh, dubious distinction, and that is Korach. Um, We know that Korach has an entire parsha in the Torah named after him. And Korach was the one who famously um, rebelled against Moshe Rabbeinu and Arna Koyim. And ultimately, he was swallowed up in the ground as the great famous story of the parsha of Korach. But as Chazal tell us, Korach himself was no fool. Uh, Korach was a uh, leader amongst the Jewish people, and a very spiritual person. Um, and though he made a terrible mistake, obviously, when he was cholik, when he argued on Moshe Rabbeinu, and he paid for that dearly with his life, and the lives of his family, but yet, Korach was a great person, according to all accountings. And Chazal tell us, and Rashi brings it in his Pirush and Chumash, that Korach knew prophetically that he was going to have a great-grandson, who was equal in greatness to Moshe and Aaron. And that grants an a Shmuel Hanavi. We know the Pasik says in Tehillim, we say it in Tehillim, chapter uh, Tzadik Tes, 99 of Tehillim, which is actually part of the Kabbalah Shabbos. We say there, Moshe ve'Aaron b'choy hanav, u'shmuel b'choy And it's in that place in Tehillim where Shmuel Hanavi is equated with Moshe and Aaron. That means that Shmuel was such a great tzaddik, of such a great stature, that in some way he equaled Moshe and Aaron together, which is an amazing statement, obviously. So Kairach, who also had some prophetic powers, was able to see that Shmuel Hanavi was going to be one of his descendants. And therefore, when, when, when uh, the question came up to Kairach, you know, should I debate Moshe and Aaron? Should I argue with Moshe and Aaron? You have to understand that's a pretty dangerous proposition to start up with Moshe Rabbeinu. But Kerach said, listen, I know that there are going to be descendants of mine that are as great as Moshe. So obviously I can argue with Moshe. And obviously he made a terrible mistake. And the mistake was that, true, Moshe, the Kerach, would have descendant that was so great, but that would have nothing to do with him. That would be his sons. As we know that the sons of Kerach, who initially were sunk into the ground together with Kerach, ultimately did Shuva, and they came out of the ground. So their grandson, or great-grandson, a couple of generations, I don't know exactly how many, was Elkanah. And again, Elkanah is the, the one who opens up the book of Shmuel. So Elkanah, as I said, is this tremendous tzaddik, and he is a grandson of Kiruch. Now, he was someone who brought tremendous amount of tshuva to Klal Yisrael, and he was a, tr- a great leader in Klal Yisrael. He was a tremendous mahadir in all mitzvahs, but he had a special mitzvah that he was exceedingly... Um, <coughs> uh, careful or scrupulous, and Mahadarin, and that was the mitzvah of Aliyah leRegel. He would always make, you know, you know, there's a mitzvah for anyone who lives in Eretz Yisrael when there's a Beis Hamikdash to be Aliyah leRegel. That means to go up to Yerushalayim to the Besam Hamikdash for the three Yamim tevim of Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukis And Elkanah always made it a great uh, event where he would travel with his entire family. And they would travel to Shiloh. The base of then was in Shiloh. This is before it was in Jerusalem. This is uh, there's not the base of yet. It's the Mishkan, the Mishkan of Shiloh. We mentioned in the past the Mishkan stood in Shiloh for well over 300 years. The majority of the time from when the Jews came into Eretz Yisrael until the base of Mikdash um, is built in Jerusalem, it stands in Shiloh. So Elkanah would make it a uh, pilgrimage of his entire family, and they would make a whole trip out of it to go to Shiloh. Additionally. Every Yom tev, he took a different route. And the different why, the reason why he took a different route is because he wanted to spread the minhag to more and more Yiddin. And he would go from place to place, and they would stop, and people ask him, where are you going? And he said, we're going to the Mishkan of why don't you join us? And he was able to bring thousands and thousands of yidim to make that um, annual, or not just annual, three times annual, for three Yom tovim of the year, and make that trip to Yerushalayim, and with that he was able to bring a tremendous amount of Yedin to Chuva. So much so, the Medrash says that because of this tremendous chus, Hashem says, you will be zeichet to have a son like Shmuel Hanavi to lead and inspire and teach Klal Yisrael, specifically because of his being a great tzaddik, but not only by his own personal tzidkus, but by the fact that he made it at this, uh, this point to see to it to spread, the awareness of the Mishkan and the awareness of going up to see the Mishkan and be seen by the Ebishter for these three times of a year. That was a special schus that it says about this al So that's al The next very important and famous person that we we're going to meet right in the opening is al wife, Chana, um, the mother of Shmuel Hanovi, And Chana is one of the Nevi'as of Klal Yisrael, one of the um, prophetesses of Klal Yisrael. We've, you mentioned in the past already that there are seven Nevi'os of Klal Yisrael. Seven women who were known to be prophetesses. And as I said, and the reason we mentioned that is because we had it in the previous Sefer when we talked about Deveira, because Devira is also one of them. Um, and I said then that of course there was many more women who were prophetesses. But these seven, their prophecies are recorded in the books of Nevi'im. Um, so there may have been hundreds or thousands of Nevi'os, but on a personal level. But as far as ones who are recorded as neviyos in the books of Tanakh, so we have seven. Um, and I'll just repeat their names again as we did then, and they are Sarah, who even Avraham was told that uh, that Sarah's prophecy is greater than yours. Then we have Miriam, who is of course the sister to Moshe and Aaron. Then Deborah, who we learned about in the previous sefer, Hannah, who we're learning about now, and then the final, um, the next two who are less famous, Avigail. And Chulda, who will learn about Bezras Hashem in the course of our going through the Neviim and finally Esther, you know, the story, uh, the heroine of the story of Purim that we just that is just behind us, and she's also one of the Naviyos of Klal Yisrael. So there are seven such Naviyos, and one of them, prominent amongst them, is Hannah, and she again, was the Book of Shmuel opens, so we're going to meet this couple, Elkanah, the tzaddik, this great tzaddik of the generation, together with Hannah. Um, and as the story is going to unfold, we'll see Hannah did not have children. For a number of years, Hannah did not have children. And Elkanah did what was common in those days to do when one was married and did not have children, was to marry a second woman in addition to Hannah. And that second woman was Penina, who we're going to read about. And with Penina, um, Elkanah had 10 children. Penina gave birth to 10 children before Hannah had any children. So even though Hannah was the primary wife and Hannah was the beloved wife, and yet, nevertheless, because she did not have children for many years, Elkanah married a second woman. Again, this is in a time when that was permitted, obviously. Um, and with the second woman, Penina, he has ten children. So the, she is the second um, very important person that we open up the book of Shmuel with. Uh, finally, one more person right at the beginning of Shmuel, and that is Eli HaKohen. Eli HaKohen was also a tremendous saddik. He served as the Kohen Godal of that time, and as a Shoyfet. Um, in fact, according to some countings, he's the end of the Shafetim. I mean, we, we mentioned this uh, briefly in other classes. There's different ways of counting the Shafetim, uh, who was counted. But in the previous Sefer, we went through, I believe, 14 shayfetim. Um Then, so according to some countings, Eli Hakohen would be the 15th. Um, and and finally, with Shmuel, is called also by Sama Shafet, and then he would be number 16, and the final of the Shafetim. But Eli HaKoyin was the Koihin Godel at this uh, junction in time, um, and he is obviously a Koyen, he comes from the su- Isamar, the son of Aaron HaKoyin, right? We know that Aaron HaKoyin had two sons that re- that survived, Elazar and Isamar, Pinchas was the son of Elazar, and Eli HaKoyin is a descendant of Isamar. Um, Eili is considered a link in the Meseira of our of Torah. Um, we had a, it was two years ago, we had an entire course on the Balei HaMeseira, going through the links of the chain that brought the oral tradition from generation to generation. And in every generation, there was the one person who was responsible for the um, transmission of Torah onto the next generation. And they were called the Meseira or the Balei HaMeseira. And Eili... Is considered a, one of the, the person of that generation who was the link in carrying the Torah from the generation before to the generation after. It says that Eli received the Torah from the Bezdin of Shimshon, who we who we learned about, of course, and from Pinchas. Um, Pinchas and Shimshon were both teachers of Eli, um, and Eli is the Kohen Gadol, the Shayfate, and the primary leader at that at this time when this sefer opens up. In fact, according to Chazal, it was the day that he became the Kohen Gadol that the story really opens. The story of Hannah, when she comes to the Mishkan in Shiloh and she as we are going to discuss tonight, happens on the day that Eli is appointed Kohen Gadol in Shiloh, according to Chazal. Even though that's not indicated in the pasuk, but the Chazal teach us that. Um, and finally, yes. So I have another question. How old was Pinchas? Very old. <laughs> Burial. That, that's one of those questions that I don't have an exact answer for, but definitely uh, tremendous, uh, according to estimations, it would seem that he lived uh, I don't know um, a few hundred years I don't, I don't know, but definitely but you have to remember, Pinchas, it says about Pinchas that Pinchas is a Eliyahu that he's Eliyahu, so we're talking about a very spiritual type of person um, we talked about in the past, he had uh, pro, um, angelic powers um, at some point, we discussed that he had the ability not to be seen, to be just exist as a spiritual entity. So Pinchas is definitely not a regular person. He of course was born a regular person. He's a son of Elazar a uh, grandson of Aaron. But at some point, Pinchas attained some level of uh, malach and ultimately becomes a liyohanavi. And therefore, he's a name that keeps on coming back, sort of. So exactly his lifespan and when and how he passed away, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, if he's literally a Hanavi, then he never passed away like a didn't. But that alone is a question. Is he a physically or just a Gilgal? These are all really unanswered questions about which there are various opinions. um, And I'll leave it at that. Okay, so Eli HaKoyin is the Kohen Gadol. Two more characters that I want to mention quickly that we're going to get to them in the right time is Eli's two sons. And they are Pinchas and Chafni, the sons of Eli HaKoyin. And they already they serve as Kohanim under their father, the Kohen Gadol. But as we're going to see, there's a lot of critique about them, and ultimately they're going to be punished, as we will see um, in the ensuing Prakim beezras Okay, that is in way of uh, introduction to the opening of Shmuel Perik Aleph. Okay, um, the Perik begins, uh, the, the Shmuel, the, the uh, Sefer begins. That there was this person, Min Haram um, and his name was Alkana Ben Yerucham, etc and this Elkanah has two wives as I said already Chana and Penina Penina has children, Chana does not and I told you what the Chazal say that Penina actually had 10 children and the Pasik says that they would come up to be um, uh, every Yom tev, and they would come to the House of Hashem which is in Shiloh, as we mentioned and in that house, at that time, the two Kayanim that were serving were Chafni and Pinchas, the sons of Eli, right? Eli was the Koyim Gadol, and the Kayanim that were actually serving were his two sons, Chafni and Pinchas. Okay, the Pasik says that when they came there, one of the things you did when you came to the Besamikdash was you brought karbonase. Um And the primary korban that was brought for yamtiv was a karban shlamim. A korban shlamim is a carbon that the majority of the uh, flesh, or the, the meat of the carbon is eaten by the ones who bring the carbon. That was the, um, you know, Yomtan has a mitzvah of Simcha. The Simcha, the time of the Beisam Mikdash, was to come to the Beisam Mikdash and bring carbones and eat those carbones with, uh, with one's family in Yerushalayim or at this point in Shiloh. So the Pasik says that um, he they brought the carbon and he, they got the meat and he gave to uh, Otta to, to Penina and her children. But to Hannah, he always gave the most special, the most choicest part of the Karban, um, because Hannah was a very broken-hearted person on the on the account that she had no children. Um, and to, to add insult to injury, the second wife, which is Penina, would taunt Hannah about the fact that Hannah did not have children. And you can imagine the additional pain that this caused Hannah on a constant basis. Um, again, Hannah was the more beloved wife. In fact, the story is so reminiscent in many ways to Yaakov, with Yaakov's two wives of Rachel and Leah. There too, Rachel was, as we know, the more beloved wife. And yet Leah is the one who had all the children, and Rachel didn't have children for many years. There's there's definitely strains of similarity in this story. So Penina taunts Hannah, that Hannah doesn't have children. Um, Interestingly, in Chazal, there is a statement that Penina l'shem shamayim nishavna. That P, that although Penina in the Navi definitely comes out looking very bad um, to taunt her her other I'm not I don't know what's called the second wife but uh, her the the other wife of right exactly and that's exactly what it's called in Hebrew um, to taunt her but so the Chazal say that Penina was really trying to get Hannah to daven harder and according to this Chazal um, Penina knew of that Hannah was a tremendous sadekis. And that a tzaddikis has tremendous powers in her tefillah. And in order to make that tefillah all the more uh, powerful and passionate, and from the depths of her heart, Penina contributed to that by taunting Chana, increasing Chana's pain, so that her davening should be with all the more kavana and brokenheartedness. That does say such a concept in Chazal. Um, if that's the level of Pshat, or not the level of Pshat, I don't know, but there's definitely such a concept. Um, we have this idea of great Tzaddikim that did not have children until they davened very hard for it, and going back to Rachel, and going back to uh, Rivka, and going back to Sarah, who davened tremendously, and the, the Rashi tells us from the Gemara, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu shel that Hashem has some level of desire, tremendous desire to hear the tefillah of tzaddikim. Um, and is waiting for that tefillah. So, as the story goes, um, that uh, al that, uh, Um tries to appease his wife. Uh, Kana, and Chana is crying, Chana is broken hearted and she doesn't, she doesn't want to eat. She doesn't want to eat from the Karban. And al tells her, he says, Halayi. He says, bonim." Literally, that means, "Why are you so upset? I, your husband, I'm better for you than ten children." And that's where the Gemara learns that Panina had ten children. Um, and really, what, according to Rashi, what Elkanah was telling his wife, Hana, is that even if Panina has ten children, it doesn't matter. I love you no matter what. No matter, you shouldn't be broken-hearted for exactly who you are, and you're a tremendous uh, tzaddikis and, and you know, don't, don't feel that you're not, um, you know, accomplished. And nevertheless, Chana was not appeased by this. And as the Apostle tells us here in the beginning that one of the years when they came, Chana goes, leaves the family where everyone's eating the Suda of Tov, and she goes herself into the Mishkan of Hashem, the Mishkan of Shiloh. And she starts davening. And it's actually, it's interesting, it's not clear if it was on Tov. According to the simple Peshat, it was on Tov because it was Aliyah regil So it was one of the Yomim Toivim, Rosh Hashanah or Sukkot or Pesach. But according to others, it was on Rosh Hashanah. Now, Rosh Hashanah is not actually the time of Ali el because uh, Rosh Hashanah is not one of the three Rugalim where a person is obligated to be Olu Regal, but uh, there are uh, the Shalah rites, the Shalah rites that was on Rosh Hashanah. Um, and, and of course, as we'll, we'll get to that, but we, this is the Aftarah that we say in Rosh Hashanah in Shul, but we'll get to that. So, Chana um, goes herself into the Mishkan, and she thinks she's alone there and she's pouring her heart out pouring her heart out to Hashem davening, crying from the depths of her heart to Hashem that Hashem should um, have Rachmanus on her but unbeknownst to her, there's someone else in the Mishkan at the time, and that's Eli HaKohen Eli, the Tzadik, the Kohen Godot who as I told you before, according to Chazal um, she uh, Eli had just become Kohen Godot that day although that's not indicated in the Pasuk but that's what the Gemara says so Eli is watching her daven as the pasuk says, the Eli Hakohen Yoshev alakise al muzuzas hechal Hashem. Eli sitting on his on his on his seat right near the doorway, and she doesn't notice that. But v'hi maras nefesh, she's very bitter. Hashem she davens to Hashem and cries. And then it says vatidar neder standing there in front of Hashem, she made a neder. She takes a vow, and she said Hashem tzivaos. Now you might remember from our Ligani class that the first one who ever called Hashem Sivaos was Chana. And that's right here. This is the first time throughout Tanakh that Hashem is ever called by the name Siva'os, the Lord of hosts. And later it's going to become a prominent name used throughout Tanakh by later Nevi'im. But Chana is the one who brought it into usage. Um, and there's a lot of Kabbalah and Chasidus about that. Why is it that Chana added that name to Hashem? A little bit we discussed when we did the Meimer class and I'm not going to go into that now. But that's what she says. She says, Hashem Tivos Imraois Sire Ba'oni Amoseka If you'll only see in the poverty in the, in the in the in the sadness or the poorness of your of your maidservant, Uzchartani, you'll remember me, Vila Sishka Samasacha, you won't forget your uh maidservant, Vinosata La Moscha Zerah anoshim. And you will give to your maidservant the seed of men. Unisativ Hashem call that that child will be born to me. I will dedicate him to Hashem all the days of his life. al he also will never there will never a a razor will never come over his head. In other words, he will be a nazir. This is the neder of Hannah, the oath that Hannah takes against standing in the Mishkan Hashem, thinking that she's alone. And she says to Hashem, again, that if you remember me and if you give me a child, and it's interesting, she says, zera Anoshim, seed of men, and we'll talk about that in a moment. So um, she promises that that child that will be born to her will be um, dedicated to Hashem his entire life and will be a Nazir. And of course, both of these things we know is what happened, because she's going to have a child, as we're going to see, and that's going to be Shmuel Anavi, who dedicates himself entirely to Hashem for his entire life, and he is also going to be a Nazir, um, and he's going to be the second great Shofet who is a Nazir his entire life. We had Shimshon in the previous Sefer, and now we have Shmuel Anavi who is also going to be a Nazir. Both of them were consecrated into Naziros by their mothers before they were born. Very interestingly, right? Shimshon by his mother um, back in the last uh, Sefer, and and Shmuel by his mother Hannah in this Sefer. Okay. So this was Chana's neder. Now, a couple of points about this neder. Firstly, she says that if Hashem will give your maidservant zera Anoshim, I mentioned that uh, Anoshim literally means men. What is she referring to? She's asking for two sons? Why does she mean when she says zera Anoshim? And here again the Gemara discusses this, and again, based on the fact that Chana is a Neviah, and what her words were said with Nevuah, so it says that this Anoshim, these two men, is very meaningful. And what is that? So, and there's more than one explanation given. I'll mention two explanations. One is, I mentioned earlier from Tehillim, that Shmuel was equal to Moshe and Aharon. That he was equal to the two great leaders of Klal Yisrael, as we say in Tehillim, Moshe um, Varen Becheyena, Vushmuel So Zara Anoshim, that if you'll give me the seed that I'm looking for, is the one who is great, as great as the two greatest men of Klal Yisrael, Moshe and Aharon. That's one pshat brought in the Gemara. Another pshat is that he will anoint the first two kings of Klal Yisrael. And that's exactly what Shmuel did in the continuation of the story of the book of Shmuel. He's going to be the one that will anoint the first king of Klal Yisrael, who's going to be King Shaul. And he's going to be the one who will also anoint the second king of Klal Yisrael, um, the eternal king of Klal Yisrael, and that is David HaMelech. So says the Gemara that that's another um, point that was being insinuated or alluded to or prophesized when she talks about Zera Anoshim, the seed of men, either the one who equals the two great men, Moshe and Aaron, or the one who will anoint the two first kings of Klal Yisrael. Okay, another fascinating point is that in the pasuk where she says this neder, I read the pasuk. And if you follow it, I know you don't have a most of you don't have a safer open in front of you. She called herself maidservant 3 times. I'll say over the words of the pasuk and we'll see it. She says imra'i um, if you will see the pain of your maidservant, es and you will remember and not forget your maidservant. You will give your maidservant the seed of men. So three times she calls herself maidservant in the one Pasuk where she makes her neder, that if Hashem will give her this child, she will dedicate him to Hashem. What's the idea of the three times mentioning maidservant in this Pasuk? Says the Gemara that she was telling Hashem, that there's three primary, and, and I'm sure it's something that many of you, have, or all of you have heard before, that there's three primary mitzvahs that are in the that are in the domain of the woman. That the woman is the one who's ultimately responsible for. They are the mitzvah of a challah, which challah is uh, specifically the woman's mitzvah, as we know. And that uh, already has to do with a number of, uh, challah represents different mitzvahs of kashrus. Um, and then we have the mitzvah of Taras, and Mishpacha, and nida. And then there's a mitzvah of hadlakas near Shabbos. So Chana said, you could see Hashem that I am perfect. I was always, my whole life, I was very, very perfect, scrupulous in all of these three mitzvahs. So I'm, I'm a MSM I'm maidservant. I always fulfilled your will in the three mitzvahs of the woman specifically. And therefore, in that zechos, I'm asking to be blessed with a child. Um, and very interestingly and famously, the Rebbe, and of course the Rebbe's mother is Chana, and talked so much about Chana, his mother, and about how she's related to Chana, the Neviya, would say that the name Chana itself alludes to those three mitzvahs in, an, in a Rashi Tevis, in an acronym, that the Ches of Chana stands for Chala, the Nud stands, the nud stands for Nida, and the hay for Hadlakas Neir. Or there's other ways to do it, but those are that these three mitzvahs are alluded to by this uh, person, by this tzaddikus. So here we have the Gemara says that it's in the actual pasuk. She calls herself a maidservant three times to say that Hashem, I followed all of your mitzvahs, especially the mitzvahs of women, throughout my entire life, and therefore that should be a zchus. Why I'm asking to be blessed with um, this child. That's again from the Gemara about this tefillah. Now, as the story goes on that Ailey is watching all of this from the side, and Ailey seems to make a very terrible mistake. And she is whispering, she is crying, there's no words being um, uttered, he doesn't hear anything, and he thinks that she is drunk. This was A, was a very unusual way of davening, it seems, in those days. And B, here we have a woman herself, who came into the Mishkan by night herself. Everything about the story is strange and unusual, and Eli tells her, when um, me read it from inside. He says, He thinks she's a drunk. Um, what, how long must you be drunk? Go and and um, see to it that the wine, um, you know, leaves you. And Khana vatoimer. And Chana answers the Eli the Kohen says, and says, 'Lo no, adoni. my master, this is not so. I'm not drunk at all.'" I'm a broken hearted woman, I did not drink any wine, I did not drink anything intoxicating, I am here to pour my heart out before Hashem. And Eli realizes the truth to her words, and he says, uh, says, Go in peace, and he gives her the bracha, he says, that Hashem should give you, should fulfill the request that you asked from Him. Um, and she recognized that when she heard that bracha from this great tzaddik, the Kohen Godel, um, it says she left, she wasn't upset anymore, she had complete emunah, and bitachin in the words of Eliyahu Kohen that she would indeed have a child, and that's what happens. She goes back home, <coughs> and she becomes pregnant, and they have, and, um, and, the, and her and her husband, Elkanah, Give birth to the son Shmuel, and she calls him Shmuel as the Pasik says. Shmuel, <speaking in Hebrew> she calls him Shmuel. Hashem <speaking in Hebrew> she because I I asked him is a gift that I asked um, Hashem for, and therefore she calls him Shmuel. That is the first part of the story. Yes, sure. So, so the answer is, there's two parts to the answer to your question. First of all, you have to understand the Beis HaMikdash or the Mishkan wasn't a shul. It wasn't really a place of any formal type of davening. Formal davening started much later. The concept of a Beis HaKnesses and a shul, where people come to daven and so on, all of that starts you know way after this. So it, it wasn't, it, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be that concept of a, uh, the, the, you know, we think of the Mishkan. on the one hand, the Beis Hamikdash is called Beis Tfila, Ki Beit Beis Yikarela Yikarei it's a house of prayer, but not formal prayer, not a Minyan type of prayer that everyone comes at a certain time. So people would, that was the place of holiness, that was the holiest place in the world, so a person would come and pour out their heart to Hashem, but it wasn't a, like a time for a, you know Minyan schedule, Shakras Min, none of that. That's as far as that. Um, but as far as you question, did men and women come into the Beis HaMikdash, the answer is yes. And yes, there was an Ezra's There was an area for women. The fact that we have a mechitza and a shul today is learned from the fact that in the Beis HaMikdash there was also an Ezra's Nushim. But again, there it wasn't for prayer, prayer reasons. There was because they were bringing a karbon, or maybe during the time of Hakil when the king was addressing Kalal But there wasn't a, a men's section, a lady's section for davening. Right? So it was much more personal, and she walked in, and there was no one there, and she davened. I don't know where she stood or whatever. Okay, now... Uh, I, I can say one more thing. Can I say something? Yes, you may. Okay, so I remember learning that um, one of the reasons that Ellie, um thought that she was um, she was Shikr is because he was wearing the Oroim of and the letters Sheen, cough Reish uh, lit up. And then and then afterwards he, so that's why I thought it was Shekh she was she um no, shaker. Mm-hmm. But then he realized that stood for kosher, that she was kosher. Very good, very good, right? Right, excellent. Yeah, there is such there so, is such so a number. Um Tila she was uh, it, it was also you know in, in Shmuel, I think they're right, there is a special Tulas there also. That's in the next Peric. That's um, a, that's after that's in Peric Bay, that's after Shmuel is born. We'll get to that in real session. Okay. Okay, um, interestingly, the Gemara says that there's a number of halachos about tefillah that we learn from this tefillah of Chana. Um This special tefillah of Chana in the Besan Mikdash where she uh, daven, like, uh, you know, brokenhearted in front of Hashem. The, it's a Gemara, it's an entire section in the Gemara in the uh, Tractate of Brachis. The Gemara says that many halachos of tefillah um, are learned from the tfila of Chana. Um, I'll just mention a couple of them. It says here. one second. It is. It says, "V'chana medaberes al She she was she was speaking to Hashem with her heart. Says the Gemara, "Mikan libo." From here we learn that davening is not just about verbal saying the words. It has to be done with heart, just like Chana. The passage says, "Medaberes al liba." Then it says, that her lips were moving. Says the Gemara, from here we learn that it's not enough to only daven in one's heart. One has to actually verbalize. You have to actually um, verbalize with your lips the words of davening. That's an important halacha. Um, you know, wow. when we read a book, sometimes we might not be moving our lips. We're just, you know, reading. So one could, you know, that be davening in their heart and looking at the words of the sitter. It says, the Gemara from Chana, we learn that one must daven with their heart, but one must also verbalize with one's lips, um, enunciate the words. But it says, V'koyla layishama. her voice wasn't heard, it says the Gemara, Mikan, <laughs> one should not daven, at least, loud. One should daven silently, in an undertone, like Chana. Um, it says that Eli, that Eli thought she was a shikaira. That if one is drunk, they're not allowed to daven. Um, one has to wait until their drunkenness would pass, and then one would be allowed to daven. You can't daven while you're drunk. That's learned from Khan. Um, then it says, Eli tells Hana, why are you drunk? Says the Gemara, from here we learn that when you see your friend doing something inappropriate, you should mention it to them. Don't turn the other way. Tell them this is inappropriate. We learn that from Eli's, um, the way that he dealt with Hana And Hana turns to Eli and says, I did not drink wine. Says the Gemara, from here we learned that when someone accuses you of something that you're not guilty of, you should tell them, I didn't do it. You know, you shouldn't say, okay, let them think what they think. Um, one should exonerate themselves. If, if one is being accused um, inappropriately, incorrectly, so one should, say, should set, set, set the record straight and say, I didn't do it. Finally, um, finally, Eli gives her a bracha before she leaves. Says the Gemara, very importantly, when you do accuse someone of something and you realize that you made a mistake, it's not enough to say, I'm sorry. You have to give them a special bracha, you have to, because you, you hurt them by accusing them incorrectly. So that's what it says. When, you, when you're cheshed, when you accuse someone of something that it turns out to be incorrect, so you have to make them feel good. You have to bless them as Eli did with Chana. So here the Gemara tells us that um, that a number of all of these halachas are learned from the Tefilas Chana. That's an amazing concept that Chana becomes like a, a model. For the concept of tefillah for all generations, the tefillah where hana davens to Hashem for um, for a child, for the child which is going to become Shmuel Hanavi. Um, one more one more point, um, hana tells Eli actually uh, l- later in the story, but I'll, I'll mention it now anyway because it's in that same section of the Gemara. She tells Eli, "I am the woman who was standing with you here when I davened." Indicating that Eli was standing as well. Now, why was Eli standing? Says the Gemara, that when you see someone davening and you're right next to them, you should stand up out of deference for them. It's not You shouldn't just sit around in a lounge while the person is right sitting right next to you and davening. So Eli stood up when he saw she was davening. Another halacha learned from the tefillah of Chana. Okay. Now, so I mentioned that on Rosh Hashanah, in Shul, when we read, uh, we have the laning, and after the laning, we read the Haftura of this tefillah. This, uh, this story of Chana. The story of Chana. An Eli HaKohinez Beis is read in Shul An Rosh Hashanah. And that's because, as it says, Vayizkereha Hashem, Hashem remembered her, says An Rosh Hashanah. It says, by, by three tzaddikism, it says that they were remembered. Um, and that was uh, Rachel, uh, Sarah. Sarah, who of course waited for a long time till she had a son, and Rachel, who waited for a long time till she had a son, and Hannah, three of the greatest Sidkanias, Sarah and Rachel who are two our Mois, and Hannah, who is this neviya and mother of Shmuel, all of them waited a long time, all of them davened, and by all of them it says that Hashem Vayizker, Hashem remembered them, and that Vayizker is is happened on Rosh Hashanah. We know Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Hazikaron. Um, so a, a day of memory and the Torah is called Yom truah. Hashem remembers and Hashem hears the, the sound of the sheifer so all this happened on Rosh Hashanah and that is the primary reason why we read this Haftarah on Rosh Hashanah um, in Shul um, just as a, as a side note, the Rebbe would always be the one who read that Haftarah in 770 throughout all the years and the Rebbe was always extremely emotional when he read this section, um, just Cried bitterly. I mean, on Rosh Hashanah it was always a, a very uh, intense uh, period of the davening because the Rebbe would always read it, and the Rebbe would always, especially when his mother Chana passed away, that which was a few days after Rosh Hashanah in uh, nineteen uh, what was it sixty four, um, and afterward also. But uh, it was a very very emotional time. Now, the the Rebbe has a whole explanation which I don't want to go, go into at length, but I want to mention about this whole story that Eli thought that Chana was drunk. And the Rebbe asks, like, at the end of the day, how, how, how does it make sense? You know, I, I know an idea was mentioned here that certain letters came up, but on, on a simple level, Eli is this tremendous tzaddik, he's a koyin gadol, he's a shofit, shofit. And it doesn't seem to be that hard to tell the difference between a drunk and a person who's pouring their heart, heart, heart out before Hashem. And Chana is this, a tremendous tzaddikis, a neviah. She's dominating with all her heart. Why would you think she's drunk? just because he can't hear what she's saying. There has to be something deeper to that story. And the rabbi gives, again, a a lengthy idea, but I want to say, Mamash, the point. The point, he says, is that it's a very general concept about tefillah. And is when we daven, and we a lot of the davening, the way daven is for our own needs. We daven for our needs, whether they're uh, for our families, whether for their health, whether for monetary needs, um, but it's for our needs. And there is something about um, one is standing in front of Hashem and one is at the height of spirituality. Why are we thinking so much about ourselves? Why, why shouldn't a person forget about themselves when they're standing in front of Hashem? And to daven for Hashem's needs. And for daven for, you know, for, for the, for, um, for the gilea of the Shechina in the world and for, for more spiritual types of concepts. So the Rebbe says that was really the dialogue between Eli and Chana that Eli said, you're drunk, he didn't mean drunk, just uh, that she uh, had a lot of too much uh, too much mashke to drink. He says, you're so consumed with your own needs, that you're so, your whole, everything is, you're so broken hearted, and you're pouring out your nefesh about your own needs, you're standing in front of Hashem, don't think so much about yourself. Don't be so sunk in to your own needs, said Eli Tahana. And Chana responded and says, says, I'm sorry, you're making a mistake. What are my own needs? My needs is to have a child. Why do I want a child? So in order to give him over to Hashem, to, 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 that he, to dedicate him to Hashem. In other words, a Yid's needs are because our shlichus, what we have to do for our shlichus in this world is, yes, we need children, and yes, we need health, and yes, we need parnasa. We need all of that in order to fulfill our shlichus in this world. And therefore she was arguing with Eli Ya'koin. And ultimately Eli um, gave in to her. and says, you're right. And Hashem should fulfill your requests. Because she was saying that when a person davens, yes, they're davening for their own child. Yes, they're davening for their own parmnasah. Yes, they're davening for their own needs. Ultimately, all of our needs as Yidin is because this is what Hashem wants from us. It's the vehicle through which we fulfill what Hashem wants from us in this world. And therefore, the Rebbe said that, that that's why this is such a model Haftorah for Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the day of davening, and everyone's davening for a and everyone's davening for and for health and for parnasa, and for all of our needs. And, and here we have the two ways of looking at it. You know, is that somewhat self-centered? Says Chana, no, it's not self-centered. Yes, I'm asking for a child, and that child I want to dedicate to Hashem. Yes, we're asking for our needs, and through that needs we're going to be able to do what Hashem wants of us. And that's how the Rebbe saw that great um, back and forth, there's that, that little debate going on here between Eli HaKoyin and Chana two tremendous tzaddikim, we're talking about a kohen Gadol and a Nevi'ah so they were clearly dealing with a very deep question in understanding tefillah, and ultimately Chana is the one who carries the day over here and Eli agrees with her and says, you're right and Hashem should fulfill your request okay, let's do a little bit more here so um, she comes back home and she has her son, Shmuel. And here the Apostle makes a very interesting mention of an interesting part of the story that can go somewhat unnoticed. And that is, next year comes along and and Elkanah is getting ready to do the yearly uh, pilgrimage. And he's going to go for Ali el And Hannah says, I'm not going. He says, why not? He says, because I have a child to take care of now. And first, I want to be with my child for the two years that it takes, uh, the, the typical nursing time when a child was uh, being brought into basic, uh, the basic nursing took two years. In the olden days, that was the time allotted for it. Um, and she said, only, and after that, as soon as he's ready, once he's two years old, I'll bring him there. And then, in fact, I'm going to leave him there. But until then, I want to devote myself, dedicate myself entirely to the child. And not go, and not be a little regular, not go up to Besam Mikdash. And Al-Khanna tells her famously, he says, Asi katoiv do as you see fit. And this is also something that the Rebbe made mention of a number of times, that there's nothing beyond chinuch. Even going to the Besam Mikdash t- took a second, um, took a, a back seat, so to speak. Khana says, now is not my time to go to the Besam Miktash Now is my time to devote myself to um, bringing up this child who will be devoted to Hashem. But for now, I'm going to stay home. And Elkanah, of course, agrees with her and says that she should do that. Now, so Elkanah uh, says, okay, he says, let me, let me see the words from inside over here. He um, says, le'olsa, Chana did not go up this time. She told her husband, hanar, until the child will be weaned. then I'll bring him up to Hashem. And Elkanah says, be'enayich, do as is good in your eyes. Gomleich Ach hashem as And Hashem should um, should help that his words should should happen. Should, should, Hashem should establish his words. So what did he mean by that? Ya came Hashem as Devorah. Which words of Hashem? What was Elkanah, what did he mean when he said Hashem should keep his words when he's leaving his wife and going up to the Mishkan again? So I just want to give you two Pirushim. The Mitzudos, which is a primary commentator on Tanakh, says that it means the following. Um, Hannah said, I, wanna, I want to uh, take care of the child for two years, and then I'm going to bring him to the Mishkan and dedicate his life to Hashem for the rest of his life. So Eli says, listen, for as far as the two years, that's up to you. So yes, uh, you know, do as you see fit. But as far as the dedicating him for the rest of his life to Hashem, you know, Hashem should give a bracha that that's what the child should want. You, know, you can't force him to be dedicated to Hashem so Yaakim Hashem Devarei is like his bracha that yes Hashem should uh, help fulfill this desire that you have that this child be dedicated to Hashem for the rest of his life that's what, how the Metsudos explains it the Yalkut Shimoni which is a very uh, a medrash, a medrash a very authoritative medrash says something else, a beautiful idea and he says that the entire year before Shmuel was born, there was a baskel, a heavenly sound that people heard that said, there's going to be a child born this year named Shmuel, who's gonna, going to bring um, leadership and bracha Klal Yisrael. And many people somehow heard this baskel, this heavenly voice. So you can imagine, what did every mother name her boy born that year? Shmuel. It was Shmuel year in school, right? It was like, uh, you know... The uh, All the Moro's, the, you know, the Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel bay, Shmuel Gimel, Shmuel Dalit. Everyone was named Shmuel. Now, Hannah also named her name Shmuel, her son Shmuel. So Eli said, Hashem es May Hashem help that this prophecy that there's going to be a Shmuel, who's going to be the tzaddik of the generation, should be our Shmuel, should be the Shmuel that you promised to dedicate to Hashem. That was the Yachim Hashem es This prophecy that is being said. Um, should be fulfilled in our son, Shmuel, Elkanah benches his wife and himself, that I should be their son. Um, interestingly, I'll conclude with an interesting idea I saw from the Chiddush. He says, why did they name him Shmuel? So the Pasuk says, Ki tiv me'es Hashem. I, asked, I asked Hashem for the child. So the Chiddush said, then he should have been named Shaul. Why Shmuel? Why is Shmuel, I'm sorry? Oh, okay, because Hashem heard, but she, but the pasuk doesn't say that. It doesn't say kishama Hashem. It says kishieltiv, because I asked Him. I mean, yeah, what well, you said it sounds right, because Hash, Shama Hashem heard, but the pasuk says Kishiltiv So the chiddush says based on this Yal shimoni, he says that the reason he called him, um, he says sheiltiv is because it's shama Hashem. Of course Hashem heard, like you're saying, but sheiltiv I asked Hashem. That this Shmuel, that there's that Baskel saying that a Shmuel is going to be a tzaddik. I asked Hashem it should be our Shmuel. Again, the Baskel is saying, the heavenly voice is saying there's going to be a Shmuel born that's going to lead Klal So everyone knew it's got to be Shmuel. So they all named him Shmuel. All the all the women named their sons that year Shmuel. She says sheiltiv, and I asked, I this neviyah, this tzaddik is Hannah asked that the Shmuel that's promised to be the new tzaddik should be my son. Um, who was born from that bracha from Eli HaKohen. Um, and then, finally, uh, he becomes uh, two years old and they bring him to the Besam Mikdash. Um, they bring him up to the Beis Hamikdash, and she brings him to Eli HaKohen who's still there, the Kohen Gadol. Eli, by the way, is going to be Kohen Gadol for 40 years. Um, and he's going to be Shmuel's Rebbe. Um, she brings him to Eli HaKohen and says, Al-Anar this is the child for whom I davened. Um, and now I want to fulfill my neder and leave him here with you so you should be able to teach him and guide him and rear him, bring him up to be fully dedicated, a servant of Hashem. That's what she says. But here I'll, 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 uh, I'll conclude with an interesting, uh, the Gemara tells us, an uh, interesting background to the story that you don't see in the verses, in the psukim, but once you know the story, the verses all make a lot more sense. Because the pasuk says the following: the pasuk says she brought it. They brought him. They brought the child up um, to the base, the the uh, mishkan, and they brought carbonice. Says va'yishcha to They shechted the cow or ox that they brought for a carbon. as hanar el and they brought the child to eli. Says the gemara that's odd. They shechted the carbon and brought the child to eli. What's the connection? I mean, that's two different things that happen. Why is it in one pasuk? So the Gemara tells us that there was an interesting episode that happened. And that is that they had to bring a carbon. they had to bring the carbon. So Eli says, um, let's go find a kohen to shech the animal. So Shmuel, who's two years old, pipes up and says, why do you need a kohen? So they said, because they have to shech the animal. So Shmuel says, no, shechita, to shech the animal in the Beis HaMikdash, you don't need a kohen for that, a Yisrael could do that. A coin you need from the next steps of the Avodah. When you accept the blood, you bring it on to the Mizbeach. But the Shekita can be with a Yisro. So here you have Eli the Kohen Godel standing and he just said, go find a coin. And the two-year-old boy is standing up and giving orders in the Besamikdash and he proved them from the Psukim that he was right. So at this point Eli the Kohen says, listen, this boy happens to be right, but he's a Meirah Halacha Bifnei rabbi A child should have respect in front of the Kohen Godel. And, and if the child doesn't return from the Kohen God, that's a dangerous, uh, that's a dangerous uh, precedent. And the passage the Gemara says, <laughs> So Hannah sees that her son is starting up with the Kohen God, this is bad news. So she starts immediately davening to Eli HaKohen and saying, that you have to forgive him, he's just a child. So Eli says, don't worry, you'll have other children. So she, so she says, no, al hazehi spaloti. that's the next Like, I daven for this child, I don't want to have another child, this is my child that I daven for, and then she says, and and this is the child that anoychi Hashem I gave him away to Hashem, he's not even my child, he's Hashem's child, and at this point Eli says, okay, and he uh, forgives the child for that, and, uh, and Shmuel is going to stay with Eli, and become his uh, primary Talmud, he's going to grow up in the Mishkan, under the tutelage of Eli Hakohen, the Cohen Gadol, and that's the end of Perik Aleph. So it's a we, we usually try to do more than one Perik at a time, but this is the opener to Shmuel, uh, Shmuel Anavi, and uh, Beis Hashem. I hope to con- continue with Perik Beis and onward next week. So did um, Eli know that this Shmuel was the Shmuel from the prophecy?